0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, my name is Troy Hals. I'm your host on New Books in the American West, the channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Gary B. Fogel. He's an adjunct professor of aerospace engineering at San Diego State University and the CEO of Natural Selection Incorporated. He's also the author or co author of Quest for Flight, John J. Montgomery and the Dawn of Aviation in the American West, and Wind and Wings, The History of Soaring in San Diego. Today we're discussing his new book. Skyrider, Park Van Tassel, and the Rise of Ballooning in the West, published by the University of New Mexico Press in 2021. With a reputation as a hot air balloon capital of the world and the home of the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta, the southwestern desert city of Albuquerque frequently showcases the magic and adventure of ballooning. This legacy links back to the 1880s and a man by the name of Park Van Tassel. Through this pioneering flight, Van Tassel not only opened the skies to future generations across New Mexico, but he also opened minds to the possibility of manned flight throughout the American West. A charismatic P.T. Barnum-like showman, Van Tassel rose from obscurity to introduce the new science of ballooning and parachuting throughout the West. Van Tassel toured extensively from California to Utah, Colorado, and Louisiana, and later embarking on an international journey that took him to Hawaii, Australia, Australia. Southeast Asia, India, Africa, and beyond. Sky Rider uh, weaves together the many threads of Van Tassel's extraordinary life, situating him at last in a rightful place among the prominent aerial exhibitionists of his time. Gary, thanks for speaking with me today, I
0: appreciate it. Troy, thank you so much for having me, thank you.
1: Awesome, well, as always, I always like to start off with this uh, pretty much the same question. How did you come uh, to write this book?
0: Yeah, great question. So when I was investigating the the Montgomery book that you mentioned, Quest for Flight, uh, Montgomery was a glider pilot in in California, experimenting with gliders in the 1880s and into the 1900s. By the time he got to the 1900s, in 1905, he was hoisting gliders aloft with balloons and then releasing from the balloon at high altitudes and gliding back down for a public demonstration. Some of those balloons were uh, through the assistance of a gentleman named Park Van Tassel. And at the time, I didn't really take too much notice of that. But it was I was more focused on Montgomery's story than Van Tassel. But I gave a lecture at the Southwest Storm Museum in Moriarty, New Mexico, on Montgomery's life, since he was a glider guy. And in the audience was a gentleman named Dick Brown, who was a Hall of Fame balloonist. And Dick Brown came to me afterwards and said, here's a USB stick of PDFs about this Park Van Tassel gentleman. You should really read these and research Van Tassel because he should be your next book. So okay, so I looked at the PDFs, very amazing story. So right away I could see that this gentleman had traveled a lot and the PDFs were newspaper clippings from different places and different times, but clearly he was traveling so quickly. It was like, wow, how does he get around? And what was he doing? And there's parachutes and balloons. And it was just this, like like only seeing like 20 pieces of a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. But clearly really fun and interesting. So I started looking at it and with every jigsaw piece I understood, it would be like, where would he go next on his tour? Like a rock star kind of a thing, like you know one city at a time. And they only write about him in Albuquerque when he's in Albuquerque. And then he goes off to Salt Lake City and they write about him there. You have to figure out, based on the rails, where he might go next. Mm-hmm. And that became a real fun jigsaw puzzle in the newspaper archives of figuring out this gentleman's story.
1: Okay. So, so, so you kind of already answered the, the, the follow-on, you know, what that research process looked like. So were you really just following him in the newspapers and trying to locate that next stop he was going or?
0: Yeah, there, was, there wasn't a lot written about Van Tassel, or I should say, the, of the things that have been written about Van Tassel, a lot of it is wrong. Um, because the time um, newspapers were what they were, and even today we have we have fake news today. There was a lot of fake news back then too. Uh, <laughs> uh, a gentleman like Van Tassel who travels the world, uh, other people even took his name To try to make a similar kind of earning of their life uh, career as an aerial exhibitionist. Uh, Other people associated with him took his name to be part of the act that he went around as, like a Van Tassel brothers or a Van Tassel Mm -hmm. sister. Yet it was someone else's actual, you know, actually taking the moniker of the name. Uh, And when these people would unfortunately have a tragedy like a death, someone might say, oh, it was Park Van Tassel that died, but it wasn't really Park Van Tassel that died, it was someone else. And so there at least three times in the, in the, in the newspapers where Park Van Tassel dies. It's not really him. So yeah. all of a sudden he'll start up somewhere else. It's like, oh, he's still alive. This is great. <laughs> but, yeah. but I had to go search lots of different newspaper archives. And very, very amazingly, um, as, as you mentioned, he travels the world. He goes to Australia and India and Southeast Asia. I connected with, for instance, the National Library of Australia, talked with the librarians there who were taking, taking their time to help me through their archives to figure out where he went, it became a, became a journey of working with other groups around the world to figure this out. Because as it turns out, and we'll get to it in our, in our dialogue, um, Van Tassel took this idea of ballooning and jumping from balloons with parachutes around on an international tour. And as a part of that tour, he introduced women to that aspect of parachuting out of balloons. So for instance, in Australia, the first women, aeronauts, uh, first women to fly, were two women associated with Van Tassel's ballooning tour doing parachute jumps in Australia. And so if you ask Australians, they all know that these Van Tassel sisters were the, were the heroes of women's aviation in Australia. They have no idea the connection back to New Mexico with Park Van Tassel. They just don't understand that part of it. So linking it all together has helped to open up the story and understand it for other, other nations, which is really neat. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and I'll kind of get back. I got a question about that, that, that international tour of his. Is yeah. it, it was you know, it was one of those things that like, I didn't, you know, I I didn't have any expectations, right. I was like, well, this, okay. It's hot air balloons. This, this, you know, that's why I picked up the book, but the, I mean, just the sheer, I mean, you you go back and you compare them to kind of PT Barnum, right. I mean, just out there hustling left and right, putting on his technical to make money. It's absolutely fascinating.
0: Right. And so not a lot of people in the 1880s, when he started in 1982 in Albuquerque were, were thinking about doing that as their career. It was a, uh, you know, his first successful flight in a balloon of any kind was at Albuquerque on July 4th, 1882. And the first flight in New Mexico's history. Uh, and he decides to make a career out of that being a, a saloon, you know, a, a barkeep. He decides to, to change his career path and go do this. And, and then you have to think, OK, so you're 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 taking ballooning around the American West. Ballooning had already happened in the East Coast of America, Eastern America, had traveled to California as a part of the gold rush. Early balloon flights in the Bay Area. But the American West was kind of not had never seen a balloon before. It was, it was like, you know, how do people actually fly? Wow, well, it's possible. Yeah. And so to have him show up uh, effectively like an aerial circus, you're like, you know, I'm actually going to finally get to see someone go up in a balloon for the first time. That's amazing. It's like SpaceX is launching today. We're all going to watch this. Yeah. yeah. We're going to pay our nickel. Uh, but he was always creating. How do I make the next thing that people are going to want to see. Mm. And how do I up the game? How do I up my own game? And adding the parachutes, adding the women. Mm. uh, That was all it was all part of the act of making it even more enticing to to go watch uh, as he did this. And as he progressed through time, he lived in this amazing transition in aviation from lighter than air aircraft might be possible. I've never seen it, but wow, I'm going to pay money to see someone go up in a balloon to parachutes for now, you know, he helps invent the American parachute. Uh, He takes that as a part of the act. The originals come onto the scene, heavier than air flight with the Wright brothers. He goes through this whole transition. He ends up passing away in 1930, but what an amazing transition of flight that he's lived through. And every step along the way, he's got competitors that are trying to do the same kind of thing that he's trying to do. So he still has to kind of up the game every time. Uh, And as you get older in life, that gets harder and harder and harder to do. Uh, he He finally realizes later in his life that, recreational ballooning is just fun enough. And so by the time he starts to kind of retire from this, this long career journey, um, he helps clubs form in the Bay Area, of San Francisco, uh, Oakland area, uh, specifically for recreational ballooning, which is kind of some of the first aspects of, of what we now consider to be hot air ballooning like in Albuquerque, just doing it for the fun of it and the beauty yeah. of it rather than yeah. making money at it, right? Yeah.
1: Well, so let's kind of go back to the beginning here. So, so yeah, exactly who was Part Van Tassel? Where was he from? And then how did he get involved in ballooning?
0: Yeah, so he was from Indiana. He was born in 1853 in Indiana and first encountered balloons as a, as a young kid at a, at a village fair in Ohio. And that, that kind of set, him, set him in motion this idea that he wanted to also do that. Um, he came to California in 1879, uh, living in Stockton, California, in the Central Valley. And he obtained a large balloon from a gentleman named F.F. Martin, who was a balloon experimenter in San Francisco. Those balloons at the time didn't come with a lot of instruction manuals. Uh, and it's pretty much you try it and you, you know, it's a success by trial and fire. Um, these were gas balloons uh, to begin with. So one has to then find the gas to fill it up. Uh, at the time, they were using coal gas. So they would burn coal. Uh, take the effluent from the coal that is lighter than the air, and then fill the bag with the lighter than air gas and hope that that's enough to get you up in the air. He tried to do that twice, uh, once in Stockton and once in Sacramento uh, in 1882, 1880, 1880, 1880. And both of those were uh, big fizzles, they didn't work out. Uh, he then, with his wife, moved to Albuquerque, kind of to make a new start in July of 1881. Uh, and set up shop as a barkeep in the opera house in what is now downtown Albuquerque. Uh, At the time it was Newtown. Um, And while he's there, just starting out new in this small community of Albuquerque at the time, he ships this balloon from San Francisco out and addresses everyone and says, hey, I'm gonna go up in a balloon on July 4th, uh, 1882. uh, come watch. And everyone, you know, barkeep wants to go in a balloon. He's been drinking a lot. What's going on here? Uh, but finally, he, you know, he actually gets it to work. It's getting that balloon set up for that event uh, required two days of gas, the entire city's supply of gas for two days to inflate this balloon, this rather large balloon, two thirds full. And that was not, that was barely enough to lift Park Van Tassel up into the air. He had to remove a lot of the ballast that he wouldn't have normally taken with it in the basket. Uh, the ballast was important for coming on the way back down to kind of slow your rate of descent. You throw the ballast overboard, um, but he couldn't take a lot of ballast up with him. Uh, and, and in the morning of July 4th, this balloon is only two thirds full. You know, he's, he's like, well, we're gonna wait till later in the day when I want really inflate it as much as I possibly can. So the entire city had come to watch this in the morning and then they just they disappear. They go to Old Town for other other July 4th activities. And by the evening, 615, it's announced that he's ready to launch. They all come back to Newtown by trolley and he launches and successfully goes up to 14000 feet, uh, survives coming back down again miraculously without a lot of ballast and lands in a cornfield near Old Town. And not only was that his first flight again, that's the first flight by anyone. In all of New Mexico's history, uh, setting in motion a lot of interesting things that happen in New Mexico, because now all of a sudden, uh, New Mexico finally realizes that this is possible—that flight mm-hmm. is possible—and a lot of people become interested in it. Other cities want to have demonstrations, and he tries to make, re- you know, repeats of this at Las Vegas, New Mexico, and again back in Albuquerque back in September of 1882, and he can't get it to work. Uh, so everyone now is wondering, you know, does Park really know what he's doing? Is he is he a fraud? Was it lucky the first time? You know what's going on here, uh, and and he he leaves New Mexico with this decision that he's going to not be a barkeep anymore. That he's going to make his life as an aerial exhibitionist and take this technology around the American West by rail um, to show America what what ballooning's like and how cool it is. And that was a big risk uh for him uh, not you know not, not many people were doing that at that time and also unfortunately his wife returned to california as he went off to utah to go do this tour so there was clearly a falling out mm-hmm. uh with his wife over over that decision so um just he, just you know remarkable decision making at that time
1: yeah well it's so that <laughs> We talk about that first flight, he's up 14,000 feet. You know, I can't believe he actually made it down. But yeah. this is a, that brings up a good que- an interesting question, right, is that um, can you talk, can you kind of explain to our listeners how, you know, a hot air balloon of this period works? And, yeah. and, and, and that was just for me as I'm reading the book. I, I'm like, OK, I think I understand. But I'm, I'm always reading a story that like, you know, throughout the throughout this thing. He's improving this one, or he's making repairs, or he's building a new one. So for me, it kind of begged a question, um, I guess kind of, that kind of goes along with, with that first one, how does it work? And every, each one of these steps, is he, is he trying to improve upon his current design, or is it really more of a maintenance thing, just trying to make sure,
0: hey, this thing should work as intended? Great, great question. And so I should remark first that the book, when I started writing the book, of course, I'm a, I'm a glider historian guy, and I know just a little bit about ballooning. I worked at a balloon company as a kid here in San Diego. Um, but I don't I don't know all the terms. So I, I, too, was like, you know, what's a gas balloon? What's a smoke balloon? And the book comes with a glossary. So it helps yeah. understand these terms. So that's, that's important. Um, but back in the day, uh, uh, there was this gas balloon again. So using coal gas to um, to keep something lighter than air and have it go aloft, the, the, the pilot on board would have a valve to be able to control the amount of gas that's in that bag as it goes up. So when you start the mission, it's as inflated as it's possibly going to be. When you go up, you can release a valve and it's gonna release the gas and then you're gonna be coming down. And there's no, way, there's no way of adding more gas, you're coming down. And that means that to control the rate of descent, you're gonna throw weight overboard to make you lighter. So you decrease your, your rate of descent. That's the, that's the control system. Mm-hmm. The other type of ballooning at the time was called a smoke balloon. And that was effectively, you're gonna make a fire uh, under from wood, just burning wood, burning material. Uh, you're gonna put a, a bag, a big balloon, you're gonna hold it over that fire. And capture not only the heat but also the smoke it's going to fill up that balloon really rapidly it's very loud hot air and you better be ready to go when you're ready to go because when it's full you're going to go and off you go Uh, again uh, a valve to control if you needed to to release the hot air Uh, but again no way to add more heat Mm -hmm. it's a one time you're going to fill it up and you better be able to go Mm -hmm. the smoke balloons were often used later as we'll talk about later today for parachute jumping so if you're going to go up uh, underneath this hot air balloon that's filled with hot smoke, uh, go up, and you're going to jump out. Well, then that balloon's going to come back down on its own somewhere. And no, no person on board is going to float back down again. Mm-hmm. And it's a quick way of not having to w- use the city's gas to get this whole big gas bag filled. You're just going to hold it over the fire, get it filled, and, and 20 minutes later, you're going up, and then it's going to come back down anyway. Yeah. Um, so those were the two main 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 types. Today, it's very different. So. You know, thanks to Sydney Cutter and other people in New Mexico, we have now modern hot air ballooning, which uses propane and a burner. And you can adjust the amount of heat you have in your balloon at any time you want, because you've got the propane, you burn it. And or you can open a valve and come down uh, a lot, lot, lot more control. And the current balloons, you know, made of synthetic materials, um, very lightweight, very, very strong, uh, far, far better than the than the cloth that was used before. The, the balloon that Van Tassel used uh, in Albuquerque in 1882 is actually made of cow intestines. Mm. So think about piecing cow intestines together. Very stretchy, very stretchy stuff, but it's not gonna last long as a balloon. You know, after after like a number of flights, this thing's been expanded and it's been through the bushes and you know there's holes in it, you gotta patch it up. Pretty soon it's just, a gotta get a new balloon. Okay. And a very expensive process of getting a new balloon at the time, not many makers in America doing that kind of thing. So over time, he'd have to replace the balloons like every month, every two months, uh, even on the tours. And he was always trying to pre- perfect ways of making better balloons, making better valves, making better systems to not have to replace things so often because that was an expense.
1: Yeah. Oh, I mean, so, so to that point, right. So just kind of both uh, to improve the the maintenance or the construction of, I mean, from, I suspect that, you know, when he, when he first started up until he retired, you know, hopefully he was only progressing on the technological side, but I mean, from the actual construction. I mean, did he actually end up making a whole bunch of strides and better and better manufacturing, or was he, you know, was it kind of, you know, I can always imagine that, you know, maybe he has the idea of the technology hasn't caught up to what's in his head. You know what I mean? You know, ha- how was yeah. that playing out?
0: Yeah. So there was a there was a new type of valve that he helped invent. He never patented it, uh, but more importantly, um, as a part of this, how do I make a better act uh, over time? Um, realized that parachuting would be something he could do and jump out of the balloon with the parachute and come back down again. Um, Of course, that had been done in Europe before him. That had been done even on the East Coast before him. But um, either he didn't know that or no one else knew that in the American West. Mm -hmm. So he's credited often as one of the inventors of the American parachute. But of course, he did invent the parachute, but it may have been in parallel with other people at the the time. Mm -hmm. Um, That invention of the parachute... Uh, was significant of course it's the parachute we have today it's got a hole on the top to allow the air to go through it doesn't do the waffling back and forth as you would if you didn't have that hole Mm -hmm. uh like the european parachutes did in the 1700s um so that 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 parachute was co-invented with a a gentleman named thomas baldwin baldwin went uh, across america giving those kinds of exhibitions taking balloons jumping out of them with parachutes and then to England. Uh, making fantastic jumps for hundreds of thousands of people, becoming internationally famous as a parachutist, and also then patented the parachute without Van Tassel's credit. So those kinds of inventions were made by Van Tassel, but never you never see the reward for that. Mm-hmm. Later, later on in his uh, older age in the 1920s, he he patented a a toy parachute, so a slingshot a rubber band, a little toy model of a parachutist, sling it up and it comes back down for kids Mm -hmm. that he did parachute a patent. But again, that's not really, that's not really helping modify technology to to get it to be better over time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I would say more of a tinkerer uh, than an actual, like Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla kind of guy. But it was more about keeping the show on the road Mm -hmm. and still having enough uh, uh, revenue over expenses.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so, so that, that gets back to the, you know, we mentioned, you know, or you'd mentioned he's a PT part of Mike showman. Um, and you've already kind of talked about it, but do you mind just going a bit more detail about, you know, really what you meant by that? Um, cause, right. cause as I'm reading this book, it, it's, it's in my head, I'm like, it's one spectacle after another, whether it's successful or not.
0: Right. You know, Absolutely. So, so
1: I'm wondering could you just kind of, kind of. elaborate? Oh yeah, definitely,
0: definitely. Definitely. So of course, um, it's very interesting to read these newspapers at the time. I would encourage people to go do that because it's really fun to go back and read what people were like. Uh, uh, of course, you know, when, when a gentleman shows up in your town to do a balloon exhibition, part of it is just the audacity that someone's going to go up in a balloon. That's just amazing on its own. But mm-hmm. there's a whole other sector of people that were very interested in the, the near-death experience of doing that. And there's one story, for instance, when he's traveling around, he, he did the parachute jump. Uh, this was his first parachute jump in Seattle, uh, first parachute jump of his life. He goes up in a balloon over Seattle. He jumps out with the parachute. He's holding on to an iron ring to the, that's, that's got the parachute. He's just hanging on with both, both two hands. And the parachute does not open for the first 500 feet of his fall, which is, you know, pretty, pretty daunting uh, if, when you're doing this for the first time. And then all of a sudden it opens with tremendous force, you know, bang, okay. And he loses the grip of one arm and he's holding on with this iron ring with one hand. And so the newspaper reporters thought that was the best part. That he nearly died, and you know that was the most exciting part. It wasn't about the balloon being cool and the parachute being cool. It was this near death thing that was to made the papers, right? And he survives. Uh, he did almost exactly the same thing on his second parachute jump in San Francisco. Same kind of thing happened, and that caused him to not really want to do parachute jumping much himself anymore. Uh, he hired era, other aeronauts and trained them to do that. Uh, there were younger folks, uh, maybe with more bravado than he did. Um, as part of the act, it you know, still had to happen. It just wasn't gonna be him. Yeah. Um, but the tour, you mentioned the, the tour, he really, so think about all the rail, railways in the American West from city to city. And the race was on uh, against other people that were catching on to this idea. Who would be first to the next biggest city? To be the first one to do it and then re- reap the most rewards. He traveled to Salt Lake City, gave the first balloon flight in Utah's history. Travelled to Portland, first balloon flight in Portland's history. Also Salem, uh, Seattle, Denver, Kansas City. Uh, really, just you know, major cities by rail with with rather large expense around you know holding this carrying this balloon with you around with a basket and all the rest of it. Plus your ticketing um, not cheap. Um, There were enough people by the 1890s, by 1890, to do in competition with him, even even doing ballooning with parachute jumping like he was, uh, uh, with women, uh, just like he was, uh, trying to be uh, against him, effectively, as competitors, that he realized it's time to take it sort of international, Mm. uh, rather than just on the rails. And so he arranged to have a very large journey by ship. Uh, from California to Hawaii to Australia to Indonesia, China, Philippines, Burma, India, Africa, South Africa, um, Persia, into Europe, back to India, and then back to California over the period of about 10 years of bringing ballooning and, and parachuting to the world. And what's, what's rather amazing is that, as I mentioned earlier, um, there's this connection to Australia. Some of the the, the the women that he had associated with him in this troop uh, were the two first women to fly in Australia's history. Uh, Gladys Van Tassel and, and Valerie Van Tassel. Not, they didn't have Van Tassel as their real last name. That was their moniker, but uh, they they joined the troops. So now they were Van Tassel sisters. Um, uh, the first woman to fly, the first person, any any person to fly in Bangladesh's history was a lady named Jeanette Van Tassel, or her real name was Jenny Rumery. Uh, but you know, she was the first to fly in Bangladesh's history. If you ask Bangladesh aviation historians, they they credit Jeanette Van Tassel was their first aviator. Park Van Tassel was the first to fly in Sri Lanka's history. Uh, so you just go—you know—he went around the world. He was so ahead of it that um, that he was right on the edge of what was possible and what people were doing at the time, and that made it really fun and interesting. Uh, so really, the exhibitions were were truly sensational, like SpaceX or where their launches are today.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I just like I like that. He's like, all right, I got to do one better. I'm going to do this for 10 years somewhere. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> well, and, and so also, yeah, no. So, Troy, also, you know, there were still competitors that were tracing him around the world. It was very much like the Great Race or, or like around the world in 80 days kind of thing. Uh, there was a gentleman uh, named Percival Spencer from the UK. Another gentleman, uh, Thomas Baldwin, uh, was also now, you know, his, his ex-partner that had taken the technology was also touring around the world in competition with Van Tassel to bring this technology around. And other nations were very interested in this, in Western technology. So, for instance, Japan, this is right at the same time as Emperor Meiji's uh, Meiji Restoration of Japan. He wanted to bring Western technology in largely to understand it for military purpose mm-hmm. and, you know, understand if, you know, what, what could be used where for warfare. And you got to understand, like, the idea of parachuting, that's a pretty, pretty important idea uh, in a military <laughs> yeah. context. And so a lot of these people were, were were showing this technology, not just for for the public to enjoy, but also to get to the governments to say, hey, you know, can you license the technology or buy the technology? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Japan was very interested in that. So was China. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> It, it, it's just one of those things. It, it, it's as I'm reading the story, I'm just kind of like, you gotta be kidding me. Really? You know, it, it's, I'm like, it's just, I'm like, what, what, uh, eh, I don't have quite the right, well, the, the word I wanna use is probably a like family fritty, but like, <laughs> there, this <gotta laughs> such a fascinating yeah. concept. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, so how did he actually pay for all this? And so that, that's, cause that's the thing I'm, I, I, I was, I was curious about, um, You know, was it pure ticket sales? Did he have investors either throughout the entire time or along the way for the international stuff where government's kind of sponsoring his trip in? You know, how how did how was he able to pay for all this in the long run? Excellent
0: question. Um, Yeah, really insightful. Uh, Of course, when he started, he's just a balloon keep, a barkeep. So he's a balloon keep. That's a good one. Uh, He's a barkeep. He doesn't have a lot of of money. Uh, His wife's left him. And it, it really is just him on the road making ends meet uh, so at each stop he would charge money for people to come see the balloon up close so they have an enclosure a, a gated area where you could be close to where the balloon's being filled with gas or being or in that smoke balloon you could actually help hold the ropes that kind of thing and you know you'd pay money to be in that enclosure of course it's a balloon so as soon as it lifts off, everyone's gonna see it in the entire town. You don't have to be near the enclosure. You just you just look up. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so you know, at most of these events, like you know, 90 to 95 percent of the people weren't paying. They were just watching from outside. Mm-hmm. But to be the five percent that would still go inside and pay. And that was his revenue. So yeah. that was really the way he would make money. So he literally had to do these kinds of trips and events to keep it all going. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a sponsorship by government or anything like that. Even when he went abroad. Um, uh, there, there were, there was interest, as I mentioned from governments, but there's no record of him getting paid by a government for any of this kind of stuff, but he was doing demonstrations for very wealthy people. So in India, especially, uh, a lot of the, you know, upper-class, uh, um, you know, owners, landowners, uh, you know, uh, governors, that kind of thing, they would, they would, they would give him money, large sums of money to do these kind of private events. So it would be like a private SpaceX launch, right? You know, like you, to show that, to show your neighbor, uh, your neighbor governor, I got Park Van Tassel. Can you get Park Van Tassel? I don't think you can get Park Van Tassel. I got <laughs> it. He's coming to my birthday, that kind of thing, right? So uh, so when he got to India, he actually made a lot of money in India um, at that time. And, uh, you know, India was not a, not it was a very have or have not kind of place, um, but he was definitely in with the have crowd. Um, there was one sponsorship he did arrange uh, in London, uh, a, a balloon flight that he wanted to make across uh, all of India from Calcutta to Bombay and a newspaper called the London Graphic sponsored the, the balloon that he was going to use. Unfortunately, that flight was never done. Um, he had a tragedy happen before that could, that event could take place. Um, there were other ways of making money uh, when he was in California uh, in the eighteen. 18- uh 18 18 late 18 yeah sorry 18 1880s late 1880s uh a gentleman named uh, william randolph hearst who is just at the time become editor of the san francisco examiner hired park van tassel to take a photographer off in a balloon because people had seen the balloon go up mm-hmm. but they had not seen what it looks like to look from the balloon down on their city mm-hmm. so he took the photographer up. it's very difficult as a photographer you have big glass plates and you've got this big camera and you can't move that much but the balloons moving oh my goodness Mm-hmm. so to get a still picture was really 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 hard but they managed to get some still photos and show them in the newspapers some of those photos still exist of san francisco and also los angeles and those those pictures were the first aerial photos of california mm-hmm. and also um, again showing the public what avi- how, how amazing aviation is how cool it is what it's like to be in the air and look down on a city um, just you know thinking differently about te- technology and what it means to people was a public perception Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, yeah i was saying with the 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 uh, the hearst um you know take the the photographer up like literally just saying that all of a sudden my light bulb light bulb goes off and i'm like oh every aerial photograph of a city that i've seen around the turn of the century is probably done in hot air balloon
0: yeah it's it's either it's either a balloon with a a, um a like a, like a gas balloon, like I've been mentioning, or it's even tethered. So the ones that program Tassel were doing were just they're just free flowing. You just go up and you're gonna take your guy and you better fly over the right part of the city and take a photo and come back down somewhere else. <laughs> Hopefully you don't land in the and the camera doesn't get damaged in landing, which sometimes happens. Yeah. Uh, but usually it was with a tethered balloon. So they they'd put a, a balloon up on a rope with a winch and you hoist it up to 2000 feet, take your photos and you reel it back in again, mm. uh, easier landing uh, and still a still, uh, balloon. It's not gonna move around. Okay. Um, so yeah, and and also of course balloons have had a, a fantastic military opportunity for a long time, even since the Civil War, balloons were used in America for reconnaissance. So a similar kind of idea. You could put someone up there to watch things. Um and that's been a that's been a tremendous opportunity for ballooning, but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily exhibition. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so um let me see how let let me get caught. Here we go. Okay, yeah. yeah. So um so he does that world tour, right? Um, and so it's kind of one of those things, one of my favorite, I think, parts of the book or the chapter, I think is that last one when he comes back. Um, and, and and so what kind of a, an aviation world did he return to once that tour was complete? Exactly. Like, so. Yeah. Go <laughs> ahead, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, to, me, to me, that transition in aviation's history was um, just... Uh, uh, just amazing. So it, it, it's it's hard for I think I know we think that technology is going fast right now because it is, but you know to to start your career when when like ballooning is just maybe a thing maybe it works maybe it doesn't and there's no instructions to come back to California uh, unfortunately after having a stroke in India uh, to come back to California and see dirigibles for the first time mm-hmm. powered balloons that people are now flying around California and. And to see gliders, you know, heavier than air aircraft being used, and not long after to have powered aircraft be a real thing. uh, That is, that's like amazing technology generation that you can't, it's hard to describe, especially for someone of Van Tassel's age who's, who's suffered, suffered through all the the difficulties of it starting. Uh, So it's like, oh, wow, it's really easy now. And so many people got interested in that kind of technology in aviation and, uh, and San Francisco was a real hotbed of this activity in the American West that he became really captivated, not only by the rituals, uh, but also just, again, the recreational aspect of taking people aloft for the fun of ballooning. Uh, so he helped in the formation of the Oakland Aero Club and the Pacific Aero Club. Uh, these were competing clubs, uh, one in San Francisco, one in Oakland, and uh, generally had balloon races. These are some of the first balloon races in America's history. Uh, taking off from San Francisco generally, and then traveling south in the prevailing wind towards San Jose. Uh, some of these are just harrowing uh, uh, race of people, you know, to, trying to do whatever they can to beat the beat the competition, but they end up landing in the bay or they end up, end up landing in the a in the, in the, in the, in part of the bay that's kind of like swampy and then the balloon kind of drags across and people break their legs when it drags across and stuff. Every 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 flight's a total adventure. And he's a he's an elderly man by that point. It's a it's a daring thing to do, even as an elderly man. But but it's the fun of it. It's the spirit of it, and it really kept it kept that same spirit that he had when he was in New Mexico of just the fun of ballooning, rather than worrying about the expense of it all. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how he was how he managed to survive and get an income at that time. It was near the end of his end of his career anyway. But I think people kind of looked out for him as the elder statesman. They would kind of make sure that he was taken care of at that time. Um, so, yeah, a lot of fun. He also was hired um, for a short period of time uh, by the Goodyear company, Goodyear Rubber Tire Company, uh, to advertise their tires on top of buildings in San Francisco. San Francisco is rather, rather windy place. And so the idea was to have a balloon that could be aloft over a building to have the banner of Goodyear on it, but shape it in an aerodynamic way, like a blimp, such that it could stand the, the, the winds and not come down. And so some of Goodyear's first efforts in blimps for advertising were through Van Tassel on the top of San Francisco's buildings. Uh, <laughs> and that's just a totally forgotten thing that I happen to find mm-hmm. in the newspapers, but it's pretty cool. That is yeah. pretty cool. That is yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, Okay. So, so let's um, kind of start to, to wind down here. Um, yes. So I was like kind of, I was like to into this way. Uh, How how can this book help, uh, you know, our, well, not readers, listeners better understand the American
0: West? Wow, great. Uh, So the first thing I want, yeah, great question. First thing I want to say is um, not only was Van Tassel pioneering, and of course, if you're in New Mexico, uh, you now know who was the first to fly in your state, which is, again, fantastic. Um, But Van Tassel, I think the most important thing is he opened up the skies to, to, to people. So I understand that flight was possible and that they could do it too. He really inspired a lot of people to get into flight. And that was not just for men, that was for women too. So the first person to make a parachute jump in the American West was Van Tassel's wife, Clara, uh, wife number three, I think that was of five. Um, And, you know, very daring woman to jump out of Park's balloon with a parachute, but she survived over Los Angeles, that first parachute jump. And so, you know, making sure that women were included in this in a time where they were just going through suffrage and coming into their own, uh, really opening the skies for them, too. I think it was very important to the American West at that time. Uh, the technology, the importance of not only the aviation that was going on, but the, the systems of moving around, the, the ability to be able to go from city to city by rail. If that had not been there, you would not have had that career. Mm-hmm. So it was, the, it was the timing of being able to, to have the transport that allowed that to happen at the right time. And that transport had like basically just come to Albuquerque, he had just come to cities like San Diego. And so it was a brand new thing. You know, like this guy's going by rail. How cool was that? He always got a balloon. How cool was that? It's a really, it was a really forward thinking uh, aspect. And then to realize that he took the technology that he first got to work in New Mexico and basically brought that to the American West and then the world. Um, and then, you know, and then returned, uh, but it's not just him that returned. So, you know, now we have the Albuquerque balloon fiesta every year in Albuquerque and Albuquerque is now like the ballooning capital of the world uh, because it's a fantastic location for ballooning, as it turns out, because it's got exactly the right currents where you can take off in a balloon from Albuquerque, kind of go along the ground at, at ground level, you know, in a southerly current and go up in the air and then and then go back in a in a in a northerly current back over the field where you took off from come back down and like land right back where you started. <laughs> and ballooning that's like, you know, that's very difficult that kind of box. is unheard of. But in Albuquerque that happens a lot, especially in the fall. And so um it's an it's a magical thing. I had the great pleasure of being in Albuquerque last October for the fiesta. And it's just a magical thing to see 400 balloons in the air doing the box coming around and landing back on the field. So that's just Amazing. Uh, so you know now the world comes back to Albuquerque because it's a great place to do ballooning. But Van Tassel was the first to kind of open those guys. Mm-hmm. and and that's uh, that's the legacy that I think he should remember for.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point too. Right, is that like someone had to do it first, right? So people could go, oh, that's possible.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: And and he's you know it's unfortunate he passed away in 1930 uh, in the height of the Great Depression. His uh, sister, who is his nearest relative at the time, uh, could not afford more than just a simple burial. So he's been buried in an unmarked grave uh, in Oakland uh, all this time. And I've just set up a GoFundMe campaign to get a marker on his grave this year, uh, which I just ordered uh, just last week. uh, And hopefully we'll get that installed uh, in the fall of this year uh, on his grave grave site. Finally bringing some honor, honor to him, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. All right. So, so, so last one. Um, so what's next for you? Are you working on any other research projects right now after the, the
0: great adventure? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No. So I've been kind of taking a break. Uh, each of these books takes time. Um, the Ben Tassel book was uh, it's fun. It really I, I enjoy the research just as much as the writing. And it was the case that um, for my business, I used to, I, I still do travel a lot to DC, but now it's traveling by Zoom more than plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I used to write a lot on the airplanes uh, mm-hmm. when I'm when everyone else is watching a movie, I'm writing a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's fun to write about aviation when you're in an airplane. Mm-hmm. That's totally cool. <laughs> uh, so uh, I haven't been traveling as much, which is interesting. So it's kind of like, hmm, how do I write a book when I'm on a plane? Uh, but I do have some ideas. Um uh, I haven't yet picked the next journey, but I will get one soon and, uh, and get off writing something. I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Well, whatever it is, I, I look forward to reading it, uh, whenever uh, it comes off the presses.
0: How's that sound? Thank you, Troy. I appreciate that. It'd be great to be back with you too.
1: <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, well, Gary, again, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for this fascinating discussion about one part vang tassel. Um, and I encourage everybody to go pick up a copy of the book, uh, wherever you can find it. All right. Thank,
0: thank you for having me. Troy. Thank you.